What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me again on the other end of the line, as usual, is my co-host, Curtis. Appreciate everyone taking time out of your day to listen to the show here. I wish, again, yet again, wish we had a little uh, a little something more positive to discuss here on the show, but we all saw what went down uh, with the 17-point home, uh, home loss. to a, It was a top-10 Auburn team, but still, pretty embarrassing 17-point home blowout to the Auburn Tigers. So we're gonna dig into that here. We're not gonna honestly. We're not gonna spend too much time uh, digging into that actual game, recapping everything that went down, because it really was no different than what we've seen the past two games uh, against Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State. Because I mean, this is the, what, the third straight game where we've seen. I, I don't know, Kurt. Would you say moderately better offensive play? Is that fair? At least from a field goal percentage perspective. Uh, field goal percentage perspective, but I think it was more or less just. Uh... It's because we didn't take as many shots, really. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's third straight game. We're at least in the 40% range in, uh, from field goal percentage perspective. Still not nothing to write home about. But so it's th- third straight game where we've seen, I guess, maybe moderately, mildly better play offensively. But regardless, it was completely drowned out because we've allowed, uh, for the third straight time, our opponent to go for over 50% plus from the field. Uh, third straight game where we were out-rebounded despite having a significant size advantage. So to spend too much time recapping that game, honestly, it would just be completely rehashing the same issues all over again. And I'm sure, at least I think most of you would not really care to listen to them. You all saw the game. You saw how that played out and no need to spend too much time on it. So we're going to try to attack it by looking at the bigger picture today. But before we get there, I uh, do want to just throw a couple reminders your way. You guys can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. Definitely appreciate uh, any of your thoughts that you would like to share with us. Love to hear that. Um, you can also find the show on a, on a bunch of different podcasting platforms out there. First and foremost, you can find us on dogsportsradio.com. Um, you can also download the Dog Sports Radio app to your smartphone if that makes it a little bit easier for you guys to access. If you Also, if you prefer iTunes or SoundCloud or the Stitcher and TuneIn apps, you can find us on those platforms as well. I uh, we had a couple guys give us some reviews over the weekend on iTunes. We sincerely appreciate that. Thank you for whoever you were out there doing that. Um, and thank you to everyone who's everyone else has already done that. But if you get a chance, uh, if you haven't done so, it'd be great to give us a, a little feedback on what you think about the show on whatever platform it is that you listen to us on. So thanks in advance for that, guys. We really do appreciate everyone's support out there. But Kurt, let's go ahead and get, and get into this a little bit. I, I guess we'll like I, I, again. I don't want to spend too much time breaking down the the nitty gritty of this game because again. This is essentially the exact same thing we've seen for a couple games in a row here. So I, I don't want to waste anyone's time kind of rehashing that all over again. Instead, I, I figure maybe we can kind of attack this by looking at the bigger picture. Uh, this is an Auburn program that just beat us by 17 at home without, again, I want to remind everyone, without their leading scorer, Bryce Brown. Uh, this is a program that has not made the NCAA tournament since the 2002-2003 season. Kurt, were you aware of that? It's been that long for Auburn? Um, I am, because I think I've heard it, but I mean, if you... Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's kind of a, just further evidence of, how, you know, as bad as we've been, Auburn's been worse, but yet here they are taking a leap ahead of us, right? Yeah, I mean, a perennial top 10 team. Absolutely. I mean, this, yeah, all season long, I mean, at least through most of the conference slate, they've been a top 10 team here. So, again, this is a, a, a program, an Auburn basketball program. That has not made the NCAA tournament since 2002-2003. Just have to mention that again. Yet, despite that, here they are in the 2017-2018 season. They have taken a significant step beyond us, at least for one season. It also looks like, if you look into the future, I don't see us catching up with them anytime soon. Uh, so they're taking a big step beyond us as a basketball program. You often hear people say, 
at least those that kind of defend our, our, our current coaching staff. You often hear them say that, you know, all of us fans out there, we need to moderate our expectations because you're here at the University of Georgia. We just have no basketball tradition. How can you expect us to be great year in, year out? You're making the tournament every three or four years. And that's, that's what Georgia basketball is. That, that's kind of what we should be expecting. We shouldn't expect more than that. Well, if you look at Auburn's basketball history, they have just about the same and maybe even arguably a worse basketball tradition than we do. And here they are as a program. They have absolutely 100% left us in the dust. This is the team that is, this, it's crazy to say this. Auburn is a legitimate Final Four contender, wouldn't you say at this point? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, I guess, and, and, and I'll be honest, this is with Auburn having their best big guy and another player suspended for more likely the entire yeah. year. Yeah, Purefoy's gone. For, yeah, exactly. Two two guys that are, they were planning on being major contributors this year. Imagine if those guys were still on this team. And they, I think they just noticed they tried to. They're trying to, you know, uh, I think it was Purefoy. I want to say. Yeah, they're trying to get him back because Wiley's already. Wiley, Wiley they, they already shot down, right? And so they came yes, back and said he's done for the year. They're trying. They're, they're also appealing Purefoy's decision. I don't expect it to be much of a different outcome there for him he's probably gonna be out for the year too but Wiley and Purifoy were expected to be two big time players for them this year haven't been they haven't been, they haven't played with the team haven't practiced with the team all year long because the FBI investigation into the program with all the improper benefits going on it's not all around college basketball just Auburn but obviously Auburn with Bruce Pearl you gotta factor that in uh, but even without those guys here they are 22 and 3 uh, 10 and 2 in the league a top 10 team been a top 10 RPI team for most of the season and they are poised to make a potential run to the Final Four, at least a deep tournament run. So, Kurt, my question, and here we are again, right? What, we're not four and eight in the league, is that right? Four and eight? Yeah. So, if you look at where both programs are, obviously in two very different places right now, how does a team, a program like Auburn, who has a very similar basketball history uh, than we do, and we, actually we've had a lot more success traditionally, or we had a lot more, I should say, recently than Auburn. We haven't had a ton of success, but compared to Auburn, we've had a lot more success than they have recently. So how does that happen? How does Auburn take that big a leap over us in one season? Well, one thing I really want to point out is the fact that from like the pe- main people that really played for Auburn, they have five players that you know that jump off to me. They have around five players from the state of Georgia that we never even recruited. Yeah, I got them right and, here. I'm, and Bruce Pearl yep. took a shot at Georgia about that in his post game press conference. Yeah, if you guys didn't see it or didn't hear it or uh, read about it somewhere in the reporting. I don't have it verbatim here. Pearl essentially said, you know, it's it's huge for, for them to win in Georgia because they rely so much recruiting the state of Georgia. And for them to go in and do that and, and kind of put that out for recruits to see, that's huge for them. And you're exactly right. I got the, the, the list right here. I went and uh, looked up the roster and looked at where these players are from. Uh, Harper, uh, 90, he was he uh, he's 90th nationally coming out of high school. He's from Atlanta. He's from Pellbrook High School. Uh, Anthony McLemore was from Worth County. Bryce Brown, their leading scorer, who did not play Saturday, but is their leading scorer. I think he's the fifth leading scorer in the league right now. He's from Tucker, or went to Tucker High School from Stone Mountain. Uh, Davion Mitchell is from Liberty County, same school as uh, uh, Richard LeCount. Yeah, they were teammates. Yeah, they were teammates, absolutely. And Chuma Okiki, uh, top 50 prospects from Westlake High School in Atlanta. And those are five of their, of their top contributors on this basketball team. And they are all from the state of Georgia. And either we flat out missed on them, like we, we tried to recruit them and didn't get those guys. Most of the guys we didn't really pay much attention to. Or we just didn't evaluate properly and completely overlooked these guys. Bruce Pearl comes in here, finds them, evaluates them, brings them to Auburn, and now look what they're doing. How, how does a coach allow that to happen? They shouldn't. But, I mean, that's what we well, What does it say about our coach? I mean, it just shows that he accepts mediocrity, in my opinion. 
mediocrity. I, I like mean, that I know word. This, especially basketball, so much smaller football that you can only get so many people. But the people that they've gotten compared to the people that we settle for is pathetic. Well, it's it also comes down to evaluation. If these are guys that Coach Fox is truly not even targeting, and here they are at Auburn and Bruce Pearl targets them, brings them into their program, and now they're yeah, a top ten like team. The only person that we really targeted was Okiki. Yeah, we targeted Okiki. We missed out on him. He was a top fifty prospect. That, we really didn't target any of the others. We didn't really target Bryce. I mean, Bryce Brown was number three sixty nine coming out of high school. I mean, we, maybe, I don't, and we never targeted Mitchell. No, we didn't target Mitchell. As far as I know, we didn't target Macklemore. Since he was a junior. Yeah, absolutely. And Harper, I don't really remember us being in the conversation much for Harper. Uh, admittedly, I don't follow college basketball recruiting as close as I follow college football recruiting. There's not as much information out there about it. But I don't remember us being heavily involved with Harper uh, out of Pellbrook, which is the same school that Derek Obede went to, went to. Um, so I, 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 and Bryce Brown again, three, number three hundred sixty nine nationally. Now you could say maybe he just fell into uh, Bruce Pearl's lap. Maybe Bruce Pearl just got lucky there, or maybe Bruce Pearl just did a better job evaluating him. You know, maybe he just he watched the guy play and said, "You know what? This guy can play for me. He can fit my system. He can fit. I, I can take him and I can fit him into what we do, and we can win games." And whereas Mark Fox just sees him, ah, man, you know, well, this guy can shoot. Well, this guy can push the pace. No, we don't want a guy like that. We don't want guys that can shoot. We don't want guys that can push the pace. Also, I also think it's the fact that the system to which um, Pearl's putting his players in, Mark Fox runs an outdated system that belongs back in the '90s and '80s. Bingo, one hundred percent, dude. You just stole my thunder here, man. That's my next note here. I'm trying to answer my own question. Like, how does this happen? How does a, a program like Auburn take this gigantic leap over, leap over us in one year? To me, I'm with you 100%, man. It's a, it's just a stark illustration of a program and coach in Mark Fox stuck in a, stuck in a bygone era where – and what I mean by, by that bygone era, like you said, 80s and 90, early, early 90s basketball, where the, the focus was on having, okay, two bigs. You play two bigs at all times. You, you emphasize defense. Exactly. You slow it down. You try to get a quote-unquote good shot. So it's a stark illustration of a program like that, and then the, a new age type team and philosophy that Bruce Pearl's pushing. That's guard oriented. You push the pace. There's an emphasis on offensive efficiency, which essentially is you take threes or you get layers. You don't take mid range jumpers, and they play just good enough defense to get by. That's new age basketball. Look at the Golden State Warriors, positionless basketball. That's what that's where basketball is moving, and they've embraced that. Whereas Mark Fox is stuck in the 1980s. If you really want to think about it, if you want to apply it to football terms, pretty much we run, we're the we're the type team like George Tech that runs a triple option, while Auburn is the type team that's moving to a spread. What teams? Honestly, what teams out there that are legitimate contenders this year play with two bigs almost all the time? The, the only one that really does it is. Virginia and consistently they've been good, but when they get into a tournament, they always get beat by a team. Well, they that runs they start they start Wilkins and they start Jack Salt, but Jack Salt plays about fifteen minutes a game. So even Virginia, while they start those two bigs, they don't play with those guys in the game at the same time. The majority of the game, they really don't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they try not to, but they, I mean, they're the closest of a successful team. That sure, closest to what we want to what we want yeah. to do. But at the same time, they still they still get outplayed when it comes to sure. later in the year times when they have to start yeah. playing the team. I guess you could argue that Duke plays two bigs, and they're pretty good this year. Uh, they play Wendell Carter Jr. as essentially the five, another guy from Georgia. Uh, obviously, we're not going to get a guy if, if Duke's after him, though. Uh, but they got Wendell Carter Jr. at the five, and Marvin Bagley who might very well be the number one pick in the draft at the four, but he's kind of a, the, the new age stretch four, kind of like a Kevin Durant type player, really tall, lanky guy that can really shoot the ball, stretch the, stretch the court. Um, but really, even though they play two bigs the majority of the time, 
they struggle tremendously on the defensive side of the court because of that. Because all the other teams are running these guard-heavy lineups out there, and they're pushing the pace, and they get Duke in these pick-and-roll situations with those bigs, and they they just simply cannot they cannot deal with that. The mismatches are are killing them game in and game out on the defensive end of the court. And that's why they're losing teams like St. John's, who had been defeated in the in the big or the Big East coming into that game, and were on an 11 game losing streak before they beat Duke. When you get four guards out there and they're pushing the pace and they get you in these pick and roll situations, and you gotta you gotta try to switch those those pick and rolls, you're just not gonna be able to handle that. And as good as Duke has been on the offensive end, they've struggled all season defensively for that very reason. I mean, you look, look at look at teams like. Like Purdue, yeah, I know Purdue has Isaac Haas, who's a low, is a big dude in there. But they have they have Haas and Harms. Those guys never play at the same time. They 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 rotate with each other. They have one big guy in. Outside of that, they spread the floor. Uh, they space it out. They they give they give guys opportunities to get to the rim. They shoot a lot of threes. That's what modern day basketball is. And Mark Fox is too stubborn to embrace it. He simply will not do it, despite all the evidence that he is like you said, completely outdated in what he's doing. And all the evidence of this new style, guard-oriented, pushing the pace, emphasis on offensive efficiency, just playing good enough defense, that, there's plenty of evidence that that is working. That is what teams that are, that are consistent contenders, that is what they've embraced. Yet our coach, for whatever reason, his infinite wisdom, despite the, the relative lack of success that he's had, is just dead set on playing his old traditional system. And I, have, I don't know about you, but I have no faith in him changing that. Do you at this point? No, I mean, he's stubbornly, I mean, like I said last year, it's like he suffocates our offense, and he's okay with it. I mean, he wants to sit there and blame the defense and stuff, but in reality, there are going to be times where defense doesn't play perfect, but you re- must rely on your offense to bail you out, and that we just, we're not that team, so pretty much if, we, if we're if we down, have one down game defensively, we're going to get blown out like you saw against uh, Vanderbilt and against Mississippi State, because we just can't, our offensive system is not a team to come from behind. College basketball and, and basketball in general, again, college basketball definitely as well is just it's become a guard oriented sport. You think about I mean, the NBA. What outside of maybe Joel Embiid, what other big man dominates in the in, in the NBA now? I know this is college basketball, but who dominates as a big man? I mean, you have Carl Anthony Towns and things like that. Like, right, but what have they done? Was, what have they yeah. done? Well, even then, you got to think about what they do though. A lot of them have become jump shooters, and they have they, they space they have the floor. Yeah, they, they have to. I mean, they're not they're, – it's not like a Patrick Ewing type day where he just stays next to the – and Shaq where they just dunk the whole time. No one does the, that. The, really. the bigs who are the most effective bigs now are the guys who have that versatility. A guy like, like Anthony Davis who could post you up. That's not what they do. Like you said, they, they, they hang, around, hang out around the three-point line. Uh, they, they get mismatches. They, drive, they take the ball to the rim. You essentially can't block their shots. The, the, those are the, the bigs that actually are effective in this day and age. The, the, this idea of a back-to-the-basket game, like who plays back-to-the-basket basketball anymore? No, who, really, who does you know, that? When you really think about it, that's why when we get leads on teams, teams come back on us so much quicker because they shoot the threes and we can't, so then they get ahead of, out ahead of us. Yeah, and the problem is, like, so, and I guess you could say the, the devil's advocate position here would be, well, that's our personnel. You know, we've got, you have Yante, you've got Nicholas Claxton, you've got Derek Obeda, you've got Mike Edwards. Oh, Edwards, I don't know. I guess, I guess you could say we have Edwards. I don't know, man. But you have those guys, so you got to play them, and, and that's that's our personnel. So we, we, we don't have great guards, so you got to work through the interior. And I get that. Yes, we, the, we should definitely be throwing the ball to our bigs and let them get a touch over the offense through them because that's kind of who we have right now if we're going to put that team together exactly exactly and when you're trying to defend us with the way we try to structure and run our offense through the post at least the way we try to run our offense through the post with our insufficient guard play why would they let Yante get his 
because no one else on the on the on the court can consistently knock down shots. Of course, they're going to leave our shooters. I mean, it's it's crazy to watch. If you if you watch a lot of college basketball, rarely do you see teams leave shooters on the three point line as often as they do it when they play us. It doesn't happen. They'd much rather take their chances leaving a guy one on one in the post than giving up open threes. They they just simply don't do it. But for us, they have no fear whatsoever. They crash as soon as we enter the ball into the post. And when Yancey tries to dish it out, our guys just miss him, at least far too frequently. It's just it's frustrating, man. And then I, I texted texted you this during the game yesterday as well. I mean, it's I hate to say it was a beautiful thing because it's Auburn, but it was it was kind of um, it was nice to just see a team actually watch a basketball program. As soon as they get a rebound, they push them off the court and they they get easy transition buckets within five to six seconds of the shot clock. You know. It and, and that's that's what Auburn does. That's new age basketball, and they have embraced that, and and they're winning big with it. Whereas we, as soon as we get opportunities to do that, we'll get rebounds and, and try to start pushing. But then, oh no, you see Coach Fox holding his hand up, slow it down, slow it down. Sometimes it, you don't even see that the guys just know, hey, we got to slow down because that's what we're expected to do here. And a team like us who struggles so much offensively, who doesn't have really anyone that can break down a defense, at least from the guard position, when we have to work so hard to get any kind of offense in the half court, it makes absolutely no sense to do that. Because again, we talked about this ad nauseum, but again, it bears repeating. When you slow it down like that, you allow defenses to get set up. And when and that, that kills us because we have no one who can actually make a play. We have very few playmakers outside of Yante Maiden, especially the guard position. So when you allow defense to get set up, you're essentially we're essentially making it harder on ourselves. When you have the personnel deficiencies we have on the offensive end, it just makes so much sense to push the pace and try to get easy buckets before the defense can get set. But it's, at this point, we keep saying that. It's not going to happen, is it? It's just not going to happen. It's a waste of breath to even say anymore because it's just not going to happen. It's just not. Yeah, I mean, he, he's shown that. He, pretty much he's, he's willing to get fired to, to control it. Yeah, he's so stubborn he's going to get himself fired. He, he absolutely 100% is going to get himself fired, and it's nobody's fault but his own because he absolutely refuses. He's refusing to change steadfast in, in his convictions of what he does. And I guess on some level you you can kind of respect him for having convictions and, and beliefs in what you do schematically. But when it's clearly not working and you utterly refuse to adjust anything, dude, you deserve to get fired. I'm sorry. I, I hate saying that because Mark Fox, is, he's a good guy. Uh, I, I love how he represents our program. How He's a really good ambassador for our program. He seems to genuinely love the University of Georgia, which I sincerely appreciate. He seems like a great guy. I have no issues with him on that front. But the problem is the production's just not there, and he's doing absolutely nothing to adjust. And for that, from a purely basketball perspective, the guy deserves to be fired. And it's, it's, it sucks. And I don't like calling I mean, for anybody's job, but it's just the truth. We had with Mark Rick. I mean, he's one of the best guys around, but you're paying millions to win, not to, you know, not to just be a good guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I take no pleasure in calling for anyone's job. I don't like to see him or, fam- or his family or anyone go through that. Uh, although he has made probably upwards near 10 to $15 million over the past decade of mediocrity. Uh, so it's too, it's kind of hard to feel too bad for him, but I don't want to see anyone's family have to go through that, get uprooted. It's, it's not a pleasant experience, but when you're getting paid that kind of money to produce and the production is just simply not there, I, 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 I hate to say it, you deserve to be fired. It, it, it sucks, but it's just it's the way it is in, in, in major college sports. You just we, you deserve to lose your job when we're playing as poorly as we are and you're not responding. It's as simple as that. 
All right, let's move into a little bit different conversation, a related conversation, but a little bit different here. Obviously, the basketball program, at least this season, is it safe to say if it wasn't already, it's officially dead? Yeah, I mean, it's safe to say in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing this at the end of every show uh, for the past couple weeks, kind of giving uh, our percentage, uh, or or at least our take on how much of a chance we think we have to make the NCAA tournament. You've been steadfast at zero for about three or four weeks here. Uh, for a while there, I was around 20-25%. I thought we had opportunities. We were playing okay. We knew our defense was good enough to keep us in games. But that has completely failed us now. Three straight games, giving up 50% plus from the field. Uh, regardless of maybe a mild improvement offensively, that's just not going to get the job done. Getting out-rebounded three games in a row by teams that we have a significant size advantage over. Uh, team, just You can watch this play. We're just not playing the same intensity, same level of effort that we've played with for most of the season. There's an argument made that you say this team has, in, at least in some ways, possibly quit on, on Fox. Maybe he's lost them. Um, but uh, I would say there's probably maybe a one percent chance now, right? Because I I, I I would say there's always a chance, you know. Maybe we can make that miracle run like we did years ago with Felton. Uh, but man, this season's done. You know, to me, I would I would actually not like that because it, I mean, it, like you said, the season's done. If he does that, then it's a it's another con. It's the same thing he's been doing the past couple years, you know. Just kind of do just enough at the end to win a couple games and get yourself another another season. It, it, to, and kind of have a, maybe a little bit, a small glimmer of hope going into the offseason. Maybe next year could be better. Then, hey, you know, next year we're going to make the tournament. And I fall in that trap every year. I'm, I, you, and I tell you this all the time. You just, like, shake your head at me. And deservedly so. Yeah, but every year at the end of football season, you're like, oh, we're, we're going to the tournament. tournament this year. And then I laugh at you. Yeah. Well, it's because I'm, I'm trying to be hopeful. I want to believe because – because honestly, guys, after football season, you know, it, it kind of sucks. You know, I, I'm trying to find something to kind of latch onto and something to to believe in and, and kind of have a little hope with. So I, I try to convince myself every year that we're gonna make the tournament. Because and, and, I, I, and look, I'm a fool. I, I'll own it. I'm a fool. I get I kind of fall into the trap. You know, we almost made the tournament last year. We were just we were just there uh, on the edge of the bubble and just missed the tournament. So next year, most of these guys coming back. Oh hell yeah, we're definitely gonna make the tournament. And no, no, we never do. So. Uh, I'm I, and, I, and I'm done following that trap. I've been a fool for too long. I've played the fool and I played it well for too long. And I and I'm done. Fox is he's fooled me too many times, man. It's, it's just not going to happen again. But I, barring like maybe a, a a stretch where we just run the table, which clearly, if you've watched this team, is not going to happen. This season's dead, clearly. So I guess my question for you, Curtis, with the current state of our basketball program, where we're here, we are. Uh, I think what twelve games in the conference slate. We've got six games left. And we have no chance to make the NCAA tournament, barring a miracle run, which just isn't going to happen. This is a bad state for a basketball program right now. So my question for you, Kurt, is this. Who is to blame? Who deserves the lion's share of the blame for the current state of our program? Is it the coach? Is it the athletic director? Are the fans complicit in this to a degree? Where do you put the blame? I actually put the blame on the athletic director because Fox has shown who he is and we've been unwilling to make a change, so we've allowed it to continue to get to this point. I mean, the, ever since after Thornton uh, Thornton, and uh, then we're there since then, we've just gone steadily downhill. I mean, we started with Kenny Gaines and um, their last year. I mean, we were supposed to be a tournament team and look what happened, nothing. Then last year, tournament team. The last three years were supposed to have been tournament teams and they've let us down. And, you, and what, you know, what made you think that we'd be any different this year after losing JJ? I mean, what, what really made people think that, oh, we're going to give him another chance? I mean, what, what, what why? I, I can't answer that question. And here's, so I'm going to own up to this for a little bit, all right? Uh, I, for the first part of Mark Fox's tenure, I was a pretty big Mark Fox fan. I thought he was a really good coach. I, I thought he developed guys early on in his tenure. Uh, he inherited a tough situation 
with coming off the, the, the Dennis Felton years. Although I would argue Dennis Felton probably inherited a tougher situation coming off the the Jim Herrick years of the probation and. Maybe Felton kind of stabilized the program to a degree. I don't know. Uh, I will say Fox took our basketball program to a, a, a little bit of a higher level. Uh, to uh, I guess he would, is it fair to say that Fox brought us to respectability at least? Uh, I mean respectability. I mean, at, and and that's a subjective term, but I would say I at least we were respectable for a couple uh, years. Average. Yeah, we were we were com- we were moderate. We, we were competitive. All right, we were competitive in the conference. Uh, we only made the tournament two times out of nine years so far, um, and, that, and that's not going to change this year. So it's going to be two out of nine, two out of his nine years we made the tournament. But the other, in most of the years that we did not make the tournament, we were right there on the edge. So we were competitive. We were contending for a tournament berth. And you know, for the first couple of years, I was okay with that coming off the Felton years. So you know what? You know, if, if he keeps building on this, it's going to take a little bit of time. But but I think he can, I think he can get us turning in the right direction. I thought he got his guys to play really hard. We played good defense. Uh, I, there were some players that I, that I thought he did a good job developing. Not everyone, but I thought there were some players they did a good job developing. And, and I, I guess I also had kind of in the back of my mind I had some hope. You know, we're in the state of Georgia. There's a lot of basketball talent here. Maybe if he can just start winning a couple more, you know, get us to the tournament a little bit more often. Maybe we just kind of tap into to the, the deep reservoir of talent here in this state and really get this basketball program going. And uh, after the 2014-2015 season, which was the last time we made the tournament, I had high hopes going into the future because you make the tournament there. You got Thornton and, and, and Nimi, and that was their last year. And then you got coming in the next year, you got Yante back, right? You got Yante back, and he took a huge step in his sophomore season. But you also got Kenny Gaines and Charles Mann back, uh, which would be their senior seasons. And it's like, so the majority of those teams. And you have JJ. And, and, J, yeah, and you have JJ. So I'm looking at that, you're like, dude, not only are we going to make the tournament this year, but like we can make a legit run. Like maybe we'll make, make a run of the Sweet 16. But what do we do in, in 2015, 2016? Miss out on the tournament. We lose to Louisiana Tech at home in the NIT to a Mike White coached a Louisiana Tech team guy who's now coaching at Florida, who I actually would have loved to have had coach here. He was a guy that I had my eyes on, but of course Florida snapped him up. And then uh, 2016, 2017, you've got Yante Maton and JJ Frazier again. Two of the I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, or is it is it too much to say that last year Yante and JJ were potentially two of the top five players in the league last year? Yeah, weren't they first team? Yeah, I mean, I would say at least, at least two of the top ten players in the league. At least two yeah, of the top ten players in the league. had them on the same team. On the same team. And, and the thing that bugged me the most is it was the same dang thing last year's. You know, we had Florida beat at Florida. We had Kentucky beat at Kentucky. You know what I mean? We had Kentucky beat yeah. at home. We had all these teams beat. And then you let them you go. Blew it. But then, you know, but then our athletic department and the coaches and the media, oh, oh, it's a moral victory. We were so close. Yeah, that, we're just so close from getting over the hump. So close is the story of Mark, Mark Fox is, is um, you know. Of his tenure. Yeah. At Georgia. Yeah, it's, it's it goes back to what I was saying a couple of weeks ago. Good, but not good enough. That's Mark Fox's tenure in a nutshell. Good, but not good enough. And so I'm with you on the athletic director seeing, like, how – at what point do you say, okay, this is who we are. Thank you for kind of elevating our program at least to respectability, but we're not going to take the next step with you. How many times do you get to see the same thing over and over again? So, again, going back, 2015, 2016. 
the time to move on would have been last year because, like we said, you know, you had the Kenny Gaines, you had that chance with Charles Mann, Kenny, and and them. You had the chance right then. All right, you failed that. Then you had your last chance with JJ and Yonte, and you failed that. And so then this year you're going to come back without JJ. How would you expect him to make the tournament if he could, with this team if he couldn't make the tournament with the teams he had the last two years? Absolutely. And this year so I, I'm with it, you. It's like you, what happened when you fired uh, Mark Rick the first time. You know, the, he wasn't going to win the SEC the next year. So why wait? Well, why change the inevitable when? When they did so, it allowed Kirby to have an extra year recruiting. So, therefore, after his first full year, he can secure number three class. Then year two, look what he can do in year two when you allowed him to go ahead and get started. Because if we hadn't fired Rick and maybe Kirby stays off, doesn't take the South Carolina job, and we had hired him this year, we wouldn't have done what we did this year. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it comes back to what you were saying with with the AD. I think this year, in 2017-2018, I think of the last three years – this was the year that's probably most understandable as to why we're not going to make the tournament. Because you lose J.J. Frazier. We have no guards whatsoever. Yes, you have Yante Maiton back for a senior year, and that, and that gave me a little bit of hope to start this year. But as we've seen, having one guy, especially a guy who's a post player, that's not enough. You have to have guard players to complement those post guys, or they're, they're going to be neutralized. And Yante, to his credit, despite all the focus that he's gotten from opposing teams— He's still been a, a borderline dominant player, still the leading scorer in the league. He's still been able to, to, to get his— but I think it's understandable this year. You say, okay, yeah, we lose J.J. Frazier. You know, got a lot of new guys kind of that we're working in here. Uh, Yante's great, but that's really all we have. So I guess on some of you understand why we did not make the tournament this year or, or why we are not going to make the tournament. But it's the previous two years. For me, the, no excuse. That's where Mark Fox lost me. Okay, because I, I, as I said earlier, I used to be a pretty big Mark Fox guy. I, I definitely thought he did a good job. But it's 2015-2016 season with Gaines and Mann in their senior years. Uh, and then you have, also have J.J. and Yante. Yante takes a huge step in his sophomore year. There's There was no excuse for not making the tournament that year. And last year, absolutely no excuse for not making the tournament. Curtis, let me ask you this. What other coach in the SEC would have had both those players last year, Yante and J.J. Frazier, and not made the tournament? Um, It's hard to find one because, I mean, I, I can't. I don't think there is one. Everyone else in the SEC has been held accountable. I mean, you saw it at Vanderbilt. Um, wow, well, I'm blank with his name. He had, he had taken him to how many tournaments? And you know they. Oh, Kevin ranked, Stallings. Uh, uh, yeah, they've been ranked so high yeah. under him multiple times. Yeah, and it finally got stale, and they pretty much they ran out of town. Se- yeah, they had a mutual separation. Yeah, now I he's mean, now he's at Pitt, and the Pitt people hate him. They want him gone. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, though. I mean, every other school is holding people accountable. But Georgia, Florida, you know, goes against uh, uh, Mike White. You have Tennessee holding people accountable. You got Auburn holding people accountable. Mississippi State's better than we are. Everyone has gotten better while we've just accepted ab- being average. So, okay, so we, so, but who do you put the blame on more? You put it on the AD as opposed to the coaches. Clearly, the coach is in over his head. He's not doing his job. There's, there's no reason we should not make the tournament the past two years. This year, I can give him a little bit of a pass because I don't think we're good enough. But that's his fault for not for, for building a roster in year nine that's not good enough to make the tournament. For the past two years, there's absolutely no excuse. So is it more his fault or is it more Greg McGarry's fault for allowing him to stay in that position? Like we were saying earlier, it's got to be Greg McGarry. So like we said, Fox has shown who he is. If he was trying to change his offense, trying to change the identity, I understand giving him some more time. But he has, he's not changing anything. He's sticking with what he is stuck with that has not gotten these results. I mean, last night I was, I was listening on the radio for a second. Chuck Dow was talking about, you know, we got to get back to play defense, which has made this George program so successful all the time. Under, and you're thinking like – 
where has this success been that you're talking about? So successful defines so successful. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. And, and then that's what I think that with the AD, it, he, Fox has shown who he is. So why would you expect anything to change? It's not going to because he's not going to change who he is. So you have to man up and make a hard decision. I think I tend to agree. I think they both deserve blame. Clearly the coach is not doing his job, but the athletic director is keeping him in the position to give the co- I guess essentially to give Mark Fox a chance to not do his job very well. Uh, but here's a bigger question. Why do you think Greg McGarity has not made a move on Coach Fox to this point? Why has he allowed him to stick around for so many years with mediocre at best results? I'm going to be harsh, but I think Greg McGarity's a coward. So what is he scared of? Why is he scared of making a move? He's a coward when it comes to firing people. You got baseball coach, chance after chance after chance. He finally got rid of the volleyball coach after the person, I think, goes winless in the SEC. I mean, across the board, a lot of our programs have taken steps back. The high-profile sports, definitely, um, for sure. I mean, we, we... we have a lot of good things going on the program with the athletic department. Like, you have tennis and stuff like that, yeah. But, I mean, they, they've been successful for a long time. You have a lot of the same coaches. True. But for the certain pro sports where everyone else is getting better, we haven't changed anything. We're all, like we said, this. you and I have always said this has been our knock on McGarity for the last, I mean, since we started this show, is he's always reactionary, not proactive. Absolutely. I mean, it was gymnastics. He, he allowed our gymnastics program, which has 10 national titles, by the way. I know, I know most of you other don't care about gymnastics, but still, that was one of the premier programs on our campus, guys. Uh, I don't know if you, if you guys have ever been to a gymnastics meet, but they are far more, there are far more people that, that go to those games than our basketball, than our men's basketball games, okay? Those, those, those crowds are raucous. They're insane. I mean, it is a jacked up crowd. It's a sold out play, uh, Coliseum almost every time. It's because we have, we built a, we built a dynasty under Suzanne Yachlin. But then we allowed our, our, our gymnastics program, our elite gymnastics program, basically fall off the face of the earth. And it, it, it took until the point past couple years where we didn't even make the Super Six, all right? We, we didn't even get in that conversation. We finally made a move, and now we brought in uh, Courtney Capetz, who's obviously one of the best gymnasts, college gymnasts of all time, maybe the best college gymnast of all time. And she's taking steps to get the program back on track. I actually had a huge win over number six, Kentucky, uh, this past weekend, which was awesome. But again... He was reactive, right? He didn't he didn't identify an issue and take steps. He allowed it to fester and become a major issue to where and our gymnastics program fell off the face we, of the earth. And, and Courtney is trying to pick up the pieces. We wait till there's just so much fan outrage that they have to make a thing. Yeah. Like you said, it waits till waits till it's so hard for us to rebuild that it that it, it's multiple years before you're yeah, back. Yeah, he allows us to fall so far behind. That it takes whoever gets the job next so long to build it back up. And Courtney, you know, started off kind of rough beginning of the season, but she's done a really good job this year. Suzanne's kind of volunteering to help her out a little bit, so uh, maybe that turned out to be a really good hire. I hope to God it does. Um, but it shouldn't. You, we shouldn't have to wait that long. It shouldn't be that much of a rebuilding job. Uh, so I tend to agree with you there. Here's here's my thing. All right, look now. I don't necessarily have any inside information on when McGreg McGarity's definitely going to retire, but there have been. Uh, some whispers that he's not far from retirement age. Have you heard this? Are you with yeah, me on this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, his his uh pension is very yeah, close. it's kicking in very soon within the next year to two years. Here, I am of the mind that Greg McGarity is simply just trying to wait out Mark Fox. I don't think since he knows that his time his days are numbered as as athletic director, not because he's gonna get fired, but because he's nearing retirement age. Uh. I think he's trying to avoid having to make that decision and having to hire a basketball coach when he's not going to be the AD there long term. Yeah, he's more or less 
Garrity's more or less sitting around collecting a paycheck. I, 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 I do. I think he's kind of just a placeholder right now. I, I do believe that. And I get I, I get the, the hesitancy, hesitancy on his part to a degree. Just, uh, just hear me out on this. If, if he truly is going to retire in a year or two, and he fires Mark Fox, and he has to go make a coaching hire, that is going to drastically reduce the pool of quality applicants for our job. Because who worth their salt? What coach out there, what quality coach is going to come into our situation and take a job from an athletic director who's going to be gone within a year or two, and the new athletic director is going to be the guy who did not hire that coach? If you are a quality coach who has options, why would you make that choice and come here? Well, I agree, but here's my one thing is, and everyone wants to talk about how much McGarity loves the University of Georgia. You know, he's an alumni. He went here, did all these things in Georgia. He loves the university. Here's my thing, though. If you love the University of Georgia, why, why, I feel like he's being selfish and saying, you know, I want, I want to get my pension. I don't care, you know, more or less, I don't care what the future holds. I'll have my pension. I can go right off into the sunset. Yeah. And, and here's damage, my, if, damage, if he truly is in this. I don't know what's going on. Entire athletic department by doing so. Yeah, he's holding them. You're right. He's holding the athletic program hostage. If that's the case, I don't 100 percent know if he's going to be gone a year or two. But I've heard that. Here's the thing, though. If that's not if that's not the case, then what's his excuse? Yeah, if that's not this true, if if that's not the case, why are you not firing him? Why are you not making more moves? Yeah, if that's if that's not the case, then you should be out of a job too. Yeah, I mean, that's not the case. And if you look at his age, he truly he's about a year or two from retiring, and that's what's going to happen. Let's be honest; it's not just basketball things. We we lost uh, one big thing that hasn't been talked about enough. We lost the tennis national championship for the first time, and not getting it in a five year span for the first time in probably what thirty years. Yeah, the tournament, not not the 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 championship match, but the actual tournament in Athens. Yeah, it used to be here. It was it was always here forever. Then it was like every other year was here. And then I released it for every four years, and, and the, the ones that were the they were the rotation that was released uh, last year did not have us in there. We were not in the rotation. For, it's the next four years, uh, so it'll be at least five years before we get it back. And the reason for that, I know a lot of you guys don't pay that that, that close attention to tennis. I do. I'm a avid follower of Georgia tennis. Love the program. Manny Diaz is the goat, no doubt about it. Uh, but uh, the the sole reason is we our indoor courts. We have four courts in our indoor facility. That's all we have. And the way it works in college tennis, guys, six, there's six courts playing at one time. Okay, There's six points available. Each court's worth one point. So that means you have four matches going on at once, and then the two, the two remaining matches have to wait until two other matches finish. So it takes a tennis match that should take like two and a half, three hours, might take like four and a half, five hours potentially. And then when it rains and you've got all of these different teams out there and you've got you got matches going on. Uh, if we had, if it was outdoors, we have it up on the upper courts and the lower courts also as well. You got to try to fit them all into the indoor courts. We only have four courts. It creates a major issue. And if any of you went to the the any of the championship matches in Athens last last uh, spring and summer, you saw it was a major issue as it rained fairly often during that tournament, and it created an absolute cluster of a situation. And that was just case in point for why we do not yeah, any longer have the they tournament. Were having, they were having to send um, some matches to Georgia, to, Tech. to Georgia Tech, which is embarrassing. That's it's embarrassing. And again, it's a, yet another example of Greg McGarity being reactive as opposed to proactive. Because after that happened, you, you start to hear reports that, okay, now we're scouting out locations for a new indoor tennis facility that will have six courts. Why do we have to wait until we lose the national championship tournament for that to happen? Can you not look in the future and say, huh, you know what? We only have four courts. This could be an issue. Let's fix that. We can't do that? It's just, an, it's just another example of the same old story, Greg McGarity. Uh, and I think that's a prime thing of the basketball program, getting back to basketball. I mean, that's the thing. You can, it, I believe coaching is one of the major issues. 
But it's also in the athletic department to not allow that to bring your program down. If that's the case, you don't see anything changing, make a move. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think they're both at fault. Mark Rick. I mean, they finally make the move with Mark Rick. So if he's shown he, he'll do it. So then here's so then my question is Or did, did, did Greg McGarity actually case? make that move, or is that move made for Greg McGarity with football? Well, then uh, my question is if, if those people made that move, then why is no one else you know trying to make a move in basketball? Or, because they don't I care mean, about basketball. We don't have big money boosters in basketball. And that's just Sometimes, the fact. you know, deep down, I, I, I also honestly question the power and leadership of Moorhead, President Moorhead. Yeah, but the, he's controlled by – it comes down to the big money guys. That's what the, – the people that pull the strings behind the scenes are the big money guys. They control the president. They control the, the athletic director. They're the ones who, who, who speak. And when, when they speak, people listen. And they've, they spoke about football and changes were made, and look what happened. But the problem is they're not concerned enough about basketball. It's also up to the president, in my opinion, to go out there and try to make the case for why they should fire him. Because if they can't sure, make a case sure. why they should keep him, he should say, well, if, if you can't make a case why we should keep him, then why not? You know, I mean, it's not like it, he's, he's not like this program costs us tons of money. Let's just make a change, see if we can at least come back on the map, get some, you know, attention and things like that. Yeah, that, that's fair. I think that you could definitely I mean, put some blame on, on that president. Leadership. Yeah, I think there's culpability. There's plenty of culpability to go around here. I think it's all it's the entire athletic department. Yeah, coach, athletic entire, director, president. The entire, the entire administration of UGA. What about the fans? Do you put any of this on the fans? Well, I mean, the fans have sparked, spoke. I mean, they have shared their outrage. This is the first year where it's been a, a pretty vociferous outpouring of disgust. Well, I mean, it's been there, but I think it's the. That's, it's been there in the, spots. It was. It wasn't widespread. Allowed it to get to this point. There's this much more fan outrage because it's pathetic. Yeah, it, the, the fan outrage is, is definitely. I mean, I, uh, I honestly increased I mean, quite a bit this point, year. Like, you don't cheer against Georgia, but you feel like you're wasting your money by going. Yeah, you know, I was, I, I had to admit, you know, so I was in the, in the, in the Coliseum at the game yesterday. I had, uh, train, my wife and I were training for a marathon. We had, we ran 18 miles, uh, earlier in the day in preparation, in, tra- in preparation, training for the marathon. Uh, I, I was dead, man. You know, when you run 18 miles, that, that's pretty rough on the body. My IT band, you know, was killing me a little bit there. Had a lot of issues going on there, but, uh, so you know what? No, I gotta make it the game. You know, we, we, what if we pulled? If we if we pulled this off and I wasn't there, I'd never forgive myself. I want to be here for it. And as as I was sitting there in in the stadium, you know, of course it's a, it's a sold out game. It's on Saturday, so it's it's packed up. Normally I can kind of, especially during the week, you know how I do the I, I find empty seats and kind of just spread my legs out, put my uh, my legs up on the seat in front of me. You can't do that uh, when it's a sold out game. And so I'm sitting here in tight quarters. My legs are killing me, and I'm all crunched up. And I'm just sitting there looking at my wife. I'm like, God, you know what? Maybe we probably should not have come to this. Like, why did we waste our time? Why did we waste our time? Thing talked about too is that was a pro Auburn crap. Oh my God! Yes, they they were. It was pissing me off, man. And like we, I would. There were a few of us that were when when they started chanting that we tried to start chanting and kind of drown them out, but not near enough of us. And and, and a lot of that is just fan disgust. Like we're just pissed off. And what do you say? Yeah, we suck right now. That's 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 just the case. We're not a good basketball program. Uh, so again, that comes back to AD, the coach. But I will say there are too there have been too many fans that just didn't care enough about basketball. I really believe that. I think a lot of you know, somebody actually voiced this on Twitter the other day to me when I was when I was you know tweeting about my frustration with the basketball program, and he was like, "Hey man, we're we're a football and gymnastics school. That's just what we are. Like who cares?" And it's like I'm like, "Well, that's the problem. That's the problem." I know not everyone feels that way, but the people that look at University of Georgia and they're just football fans, that's great. I mean, I'm glad I'm glad you you love Georgia football. That's awesome, but. We, we have got to support other programs, and we've got to demand excellence in other programs. There's no reason we cannot have a consistent 
year in year out tournament team at the University of Georgia. There's no reason I mean, for and that's the thing. Everyone else is doing it. You see Auburn. I mean, they're they're good in almost all around sports now. Basketball's good. Yep. Their baseball's usually pretty decent. Um, I mean, all these Florida, Florida's there's no reason. All around. There's no reason. Florida, Florida leaves us in the dust as an all around athletic program. And it's well, embarrassing. And, and the thing is, we talk about the fans, you know, not coming out. I mean, the fans should come out, but at the same time, it's hard to come out when you get the same old, same old. It's not just the coming out. I mean, that's part, but it's not just the coming out. To me, it's more so of demanding a change. And I think this year fans I, are. I, I, yeah, but I, I don't think it has been. Over the first eight years, it wasn't the case. Just, people have resigned to accept it because that's, I mean, I think it's, a, I think it's because the athlete, it seems like, all right, the athletic department accepts this. I guess we should accept it. And look, I'm, I'm going to put myself in this because, I, as I admitted earlier, I was one of those people that was defending Mar Fox for, for a couple of years there. So I wasn't demanding a change. I kept making an excuse and saying, you know what? Yeah, you know what? Next year we're going to make the tournament. We're close this year. We're going to make it next year. But no more for me. I'm done. Uh, and So I was part of the problem there. I'll have to admit that. I think a lot of people had the same attitude as me. It's like, but the thing was, at least I cared. I cared about how we did this basketball program. For the past eight years, I'm not sure enough of, of the Georgia fans actually really cared about Georgia basketball not being good. They're kind of like, yeah, you know, if we won, that's great. But if we didn't, uh, who cares? You know, football season will be here soon enough. But so I think there may be a little bit of culpability there. Again, I throw myself in that equation. I, we just didn't demand. Like, think about it. If if Kirby Smart, well, I guess even Mark Rick, you know, if, if we had a football coach who was, was as consistently average and mediocre as Mark Fox has been, would we sit there and take it? No, they. I mean, no. I mean, Mark people. Mark Rick got fired for essentially winning 10, 10 games a year for the most part, on average, right? Essentially, ten games a year, and that's that's that is that's good. It's not good enough, but it was good. So, it's, I would say Mark Fox has been the equivalent of winning like six or seven games a year, right? To get into a bowl game, six or seven games a year. If we had a coach who did that for nine years in football, is he keeping his job? No. no way. So why do we allow it to happen in basketball? And the, and the reason is because people come back and say, you know what? We're not a basketball school. We're a football school. And if we're good in basketball one year, that's just gravy. That's awesome. But if we're not, who cares? We're never good at basketball. It doesn't really matter. That attitude, that mentality has to change. And I think it's starting to change because we're starting to see more programs around us like Auburn all of a sudden become really good. And then we look at that and we say, you know what? That looks fun. That looks awesome. It'd be really great to have a basketball team that we could actually cheer for and root for and have some fun. That could make a that could be a threat to make a legitimate run in the tournament. But we just we haven't had that, man. And I want it. I do. I desperately want us to have a really good basketball program. And I'm frustrated by it because I think we should. There's no reason we can't. If you look at all of those players that we that early in the show we detail from Auburn, all those guys from Georgia, they could be playing for us, but they aren't. And it's a problem. There's plenty of guys out there that we could get if we got the right coach in here and started to develop these guys and win some games and get some momentum going with this program. But with the current leadership, it's not going to happen. And I, I and I, I include with the athletic with our athletic department too. I'm not. I, I've been saying this all season long. I'm not convinced we're going to make a move until it happens. I believe it when I see it. So I don't know, man. You got any more on that one? No, it's just yeah, we're just kind of beating a dead horse in the ground here. It's just, I, I'm, it's just a very frustrating situation. I think, kind of recap here to wrap it up. I think all levels have some culpability here: coach, AD, president, maybe even fans to a lesser degree because we've kind of allowed, we haven't really demanded it, and again, including myself, and that demanded better, demanded excellence. Uh, but I, I would probably, I'm with you. I'd probably lean towards at, at, at the athletic director as the one I put the majority of the blame on because he could have made a move. And I'll leave you with this. This is from uh, 2010 when Greg McGarity was first hired. At his opening press conference, he said this, Our athletic program will do things the right way. 
We will represent this institution, community, and state the right way. And we will compete for SEC and national championships the right way. We will have very high expectations. And every sport, every sport will be expected to be competitive with our peer institutions, not only in the classroom, but also on the field. So, Curtis, last question for you. Has our basketball program under Mark Fox, have we been competitive with our peer institutions on the field of play? No. Have we competed for SEC and national championships in basketball? No. Not even close. Those are Greg McGarry's own words. Those are his own words on his regarding his expectations. So he is simply not living up to the standard that he set. We have not been anywhere near competing for SEC national championship. Definitely not national championship basketball, but even SEC titles. We have not been consistently competitive with the peer institutions on the field, at least over the past couple years, not to the degree that we need to. Those were his words and his standards that he established, and he's not living up to it. So leave you guys with that uh, that's it for us here today on the glory uj podcast definitely appreciate all of you guys tuning into the show here uh we'll be back with some uh some football talk later in the week so make sure to check in for that we know that you guys are like us and live and breathe georgia football so we definitely will have you covered there but for curtis i'm tyler thanks for listening as always go dogs